0: Hello, Friends in Formation, this is James in London,
1: and Rochella in North Carolina,
0: and I'm Nate in Colorado, and we
1: are Friends
2: in Formation, a podcast where three different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal to listen, to learn, and to help one another go deeper with God. Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian ecumenical renewal effort. Offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We would love for you to join the conversation. You can email your questions to us at friends at renovare.org. That's friends at renovare.org. And if we use your question in a future episode, we can send you a coffee mug featuring our fantastic Friends Information
0: logo. Indeed, it does. It does indeed. And the mug is important, I know. But it's just a little indication that we're all part of yeah, a friends' information discussion, conversation. And we're so glad everybody's here. Bud has sent us a really interesting question. He says, hey, y'all, which is me trying to do an American accent. Could you do that again, James? Hey, y'all.
1: I like Bud. I like Bud.
0: (laughs) You like Bud. I like Bud too. And he says, I've become a John Mark Comer fan thanks to your recommendation of his book, The Ruthless Elimination Hurry, on one of your earliest podcasts. Over the past year or two, that book and some other resources of his have piqued my interest in practicing Sabbath. Could each of you share what your Sabbath looks like, the practical aspects of it, when, how long, what do you do? I want to take this from an idea to a habit, and would love to hear how you'll do this. I love the podcast. It always inspires me to draw closer to Jesus. Thanks. So that's a very good thing. How are each of you handling that? That is a good question. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> you
2: think, Rochelle, you want to kick it off?
1: Oh, Bud, I do like you, and I appreciate you addressing us as "Hey, y'all." <laughs> I confess that this is still an area of real weakness for me. So, I mean, I think we could we could talk a while about what Sabbath means and and the need for it, and I think that would be a good discussion to have. But Bud as specifically how each of us actually practices it. And I need to, like you, Bud, do more to make this a, a habitual thing rather than just an idea.
0: Why is it hard? Why is it hard? Yeah, for you.
1: Yeah. Do you mind? No, not at all. By way of confession, it is hard for me because I won't let it be easy <laughs> okay. i yeah i mean that that's what it okay. what it boils down to. I still struggle i've made I've made progress, but I still struggle in thinking and feeling that there are things that absolutely have to be done, and they have to be done by me, and they can't wait and they won't wait mm. and that's antithetical to Sabbath keeping. You know, if we go back to Exodus 20, to, you know, we trace Moses' steps up Mount Sinai and his coming back down with with what we call the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. There's not a lot to to parse here, is there? This commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? And some explanation there about how God himself rested from his work. And his pattern for his people was to work six days and on the seventh day to set that day aside for it to be sacred. So what do you do? Well, what I what I do do, and I do pretty well habitually, is to worship on what I consider my Sabbath and my Sabbath tends to be Sunday. That's the day that I do the best at actual ceasing from work and resting and actually worshiping God with others. That 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 is ingrained as a habit. That that is one way that I keep the day sacred and set apart. But what I struggle with is actually resting and ordering my life so that on that day I do much left. There is rest for my body. There's time just to reflect and to connect, to nurture relationship with God and others. I tend to let my mind spin too much into what's coming up in the week ahead and the chores that need to be done and the fact that the jobs of my everyday life won't wait. And I think that's the great trap that the enemy of our souls lays for us is making us think that we cannot possibly set things aside, that life won't work well unless we are working and hurrying and getting things done right now. So that's the area that I need to grow in. I would say I do a pretty good job of keeping the day set apart. I do a worse job of doing it for the whole day and allowing myself just to to rest in the knowledge that God is good, that God provides for me, that God loves me, and that members of my community, which includes my family, love me and are happy for me to rest. That's where I need to grow. Thank you. Some of my best friends are pastors of churches. And quite frankly, they can't do Sabbath on a Sunday. That's not a luxury afforded to them, right? That's the most difficult work day in their week. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to be legalistic about Sabbath and to say, this must be, you must do this on this day or or it's not true. Well, that that can't be right because, you know, pastors are, Mm -hmm. it's their job to work on a Sunday, that can't be the quote Sabbath day for them, but that doesn't mean they don't need Sabbath.
2: So, Oh, right. Need it more. Uh (laughs) It's funny. I don't, I don't know that I really know anyone that's legalistic about it. Good. (laughs) Well, I don't, I mean, I think I know a lot of people who apologize about it. And Uh I mean, the irony to it is that we know it works. Uh We know at some level, I think, that we'll be more productive if, production is our master by resting. I was thinking this week about solitude and that there's a difference between forced solitude and voluntary solitude. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, but one is being placed upon you. And I think I'm wondering if that fits with Sabbath a little, that there is a difference between forced rest and rest that we're, we're choosing. And my life is set up in a way that it's often, rest is forced upon me with limitations almost daily. I'm glad for this question because immediately I thought, I don't know that I have a lot to say on this, but as I think about it, I probably do because there are a lot of little Sabbaths baked into each day for me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. my definition, and I don't know if this is biblically accurate or even well, it's been helpful for me, nonetheless, is it's an agenda-free day. What do you do today? Well, you just, you don't have an agenda and you just kind of prayerfully work your way through the day. And, and I feel like I say this all the time and, and suffer, suffer through the reality that <laughs> we can't do everything. And mm-hmm. that is actually a very good thing <laughs> mm, to do. Mm-hmm. So logistically practices. Yeah, certainly services, but for me, it's often walks hiking, just prayerfully, leisurely, through the day.
1: Mm. Naps is one practice. Mm. Uh, that, 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 that's something <laughs> I sure. practice pretty well. I mean, so worshiping and napping, those are the two <laughs> things that, that I can actually say are part of my Sabbath practice. I have go. a long way to go, but it is, it is true that napping is a luxury that I rarely indulge in. On the other days of the week, even if it would be helpful. But uh, on my Sabbath, I, I will let myself nap. It's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in this as a subject because, I mean, we just need to get our understanding of what the Sabbath is and it's practicing Sabbath. I mean, I think that's what's underlying what both of you are saying, that I think it's a posture not a process it's it's an attitude of the heart it's a sabbath attitude it's the ability to rest and as you said yes one day of the week it's great to have a whole day of it but it's also great to practice it at other times and if your parents you hardly feel you ever have any spare time or can do that kind of thing, and I think we just be so careful about making you know laws out of it. You know, Mark two, Jesus says, you know, the Sabbath is made for us, not us for the Sabbath. And boy, how quickly we want to make it into a set of restrictions and so on. James Bryan Smith, in one of his earliest books, he he defined. Sabbath as activity with no productive value, I think, Mm -hmm. is what he said. You know, I mean, I I may have got the wording not quite right, but but his image was no to sweeping the leaves, but yes to kicking leaves as you walk through the leaves. Mm -hmm. If you see what Mm -hmm. what I mean, no no clearing your backyard up because that's productive work but do um, skip your way through the leaves in the fall in the park or the countryside, because there's absolutely no practical value in skipping through, you know, leaves. And I, and of course that is a posture of the heart, isn't it? It's that playfulness, Mm -hmm. that attitude of release of celebration, you know, just doing it just because it's a fun thing. I'm interested in that. I think Variety is good, so let's be careful about the legalism of it. You know, I must do this every week, I must do this. For variety, frequency, I think some people say, well, I didn't manage a day this week, but I'll take two the following week. Or I'm working really hard at the moment, I'll take a block of four days or five days off. I'm not sure that it works quite like that, actually. Mm -hmm. I think you need frequency. Mm -hmm. And the tougher life gets, the more you need just a bit of Sabbath. I remember when I was, I mean, in pressurized um, jobs, the more I said, I cannot afford to have a swim today, those were the days when I forced myself to have one. Because the less time I had to have a Sabbath experience, and. For me, a swim is part of a s- Sabbath I can do because it 's got it 's no product i 'm not using it for exercise i 'm using it for enjoyment. on the days when I felt I just haven 't got the time for this i 'd say, well, in that case that 's the day to <laughs> do it
1: gotta have it yeah.
0: We had an office once where we where we decided we 'd like to give an hour to everybody during the week, one hour off during the week, during the Monday to Friday week. This is in the days when all the staff are together in the office. And we would say we're going to have one day off where we're going to spend an hour in no productive activity. So we'd have a group, we'd have a prayer group or a sewing circle or a crochet group or (laughs) we'd watch a movie or we'd do something unproductive together and we took a survey of when would you like to have that hour off in the week and when would you like to not have that hour off in the week (laughs) and the hour that the staff thought was the least they wanted it the least was the hour we said that's going to be our hour wow yeah it was deliberately designed to intrude <laughs> in the space. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such a fascinating thing because everyone said, no, 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 you know, absolutely not. But they loved it. And after mm-hmm. a few times, the habit of doing it, this time once a week is the hour.
1: Well, that gets at a really good yeah. underlying thing because I think maybe the key to it, one of the keys is trust, Right. No, no. <laughs> it people didn't want it then because they didn't want it to intrude upon their work yeah. they didn't want to interrupt they didn't want it to to break up what they felt like they act- absolutely must have as a block of work yeah. or whatever and part of yeah. part of keeping Sabbath is trusting trusting God and trusting the others in your community and that's the second thing that I think is so important, especially maybe for us to talk about Sabbath is not we think of it as an individual discipline. I think maybe it's, you know, the in terms of the commandment and the Ten Commandments, I think it's a corporate thing. Right, God is calling His people to remember that God is God and that God provides. Mm. And mm. God's people cease from work and rest in God's provision. And you, you can't just do it all by yourself. You mm. you know, it, it's it's not up to you because... There is work to be done in the world, so it's there a community is. Is. it's a community effort and mm. when we you know and not only that, but Sabbath has to work if you if you think about it, it's not something that's intended just for the rich or just for the privileged or just mm. for those who can afford to hire someone else to do their work mm. this is this is A gift from God to everyone at every level of society to remember that God provides and that we're able to rest not because we deserve it or not because it's the most productive thing, but because this is the way God has ordered things to stop.
0: Well, it is that trust thing. I mean, that's exactly uh-huh. the right, isn't it? Because you're trusting God to provide. So people in this example of an office environment will say, we understand everybody else must do an hour, but you'll understand right. that my job, you know, if you understood my <laughs> job, I have uh-huh. to work, you know. Right, yeah. and, and And the other thing is emails are about trusting, not doing your emails for one day. is trusting that the kingdom of God will still be there when you come back to them, you know, that uh-huh. the, the kingdom of God is not going to collapse if you don't do your emails for one day. <laughs> and I say that as a career, someone had a, you know, a commercial career. So, and again, I'm not saying, you know, we must be careful not to impose laws on everybody. But I do think posture posture that the kingdom of god is not at risk if my emails are not completed
2: i love that it's interesting as we're talking i'm thinking that you know this is easier for some of some of us it's just an act of us you're not in control you're not god of the universe knock it off for (laughs) others this is you know for those who are unhoused or living hand to mouth yeah this is a whole different you know yeah so I wouldn't, is. I wouldn't pretend to know how they should. Um, I think I want to go back to something I said about legalism. I don't know. Any, I said, I don't know anyone who is legalistic. And in a sense, I think a, most of us are, we just don't do it. Right. Like people, when you bring it up, there's this, there's an apology. Hey, how are you doing with Sabbath? You're going to tell me what you're not doing. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Rather than the life giving. And then here's the word I'm picking up from you, James. Playfulness. Mm. A playfulness to it. I love that. I love that.
1: (laughs) Well, Bud, we're admitting to you that we need to grow right alongside you. So I'm glad that you have found John. I'm not admitting it. Oh, I'm good about my Some of us, Bud, are admitting that we need to grow right alongside you. Rochelle is admitting it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hey, y'all. (laughs) Rochelle is admitting it. (laughs) But thanks for the question. a question that comes from now i don't know if this guy is a southerner or not but he now lives in the south so he doesn't say y'all but i'm just gonna assume that that he he would if we were talking face to face (laughs) it's a great question uh this is from kenneth who says i've been a protestant christian many years though i'm definitely not averse to spiritual wisdom from believers in other traditions. I've had a spiritual director for about six years, and she always points me to resources by Roman Catholics. He said, it kind of bothers me that it seems that there are relatively little by Protestants on deep spiritual formation. Is it just my lack of knowledge, or are Protestants much less likely to explore these sorts of issues? I feel almost guilty to be reading all these things outside of my tradition. Do Protestants not care about the issues that Roman Catholic writers are addressing? So, I think his question is wh- what is there that's not Roman Catholic? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> though it, he doesn't mind reading books by Roman Catholics, he doesn't just want to read books by Roman Catholics. His question really got got me to thinking that about a lot of things. There are an awful lot of the Christian devotional classics that were written by Roman Catholic writers, right?
2: Why is that, so, Rochella?
1: Well, <laughs> the, ones, the ones <laughs> that we tend to recommend tend to be old books. Protestantism has only been around for 500 years now, right? <laughs> and so what we know about the religious affiliation of many writers occurred before the Protestant Reformation. Do we know if these people were actually practicing Roman Catholics? Not necessarily. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. <laughs> but in general, for instance, if we're pointing you to the Desert Fathers and Mothers, those folks were Roman Catholic.
0: Before the Reformation, no one would have said, I'm a Roman Catholic. That's I mean, it right. was just Christians. I mean, right. you know, it was it was the mainstream. I mean, it, it was such. So I want to be careful about sort of, you know, go go before fifteen seventeen, which is the date people think the Reformation you know started. Fifteen seventeen. You know, go earlier, and it and you had not any choice because you were all. I mean, Martin Luther himself was. Catholic. So if you read anything of Martin Luther's before 1517 <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, That's I right. mean it's a bit awkward.
1: No, which is not to say that there weren't ever divisions or schisms in the church. Certainly there were. I mean there you know so you have Oh, lots you killed of, them off. You get something <laughs> good popping out. You better, you better I mean, you know, so out. you have Eastern Orthodox, you have you know, there there are all kinds. There there've been divisions in the church there have been fights among believers from the very beginning because the church the head of the church is Jesus Jesus is perfect mm. the rest of us have a ways to go and we fight about things mm. and we you know we we don't take sometimes we don't take Christ's urging to unity as strongly as we need to mm. but James <laughs> is right people writing mm. in the 12th century would not have said The first thing you need to know about me is that I'm a Roman Catholic. No, they were Christians.
0: But I do take the point. I mean, I do take the point. And Ken is making an interesting point. I mean, I just give you two of many that I would think are just great ways to go. One is um, one that I've spent a lot of time working on called A Serious Call to a Devout and a Holy Life by a guy called William Law, a serious call to a devout and holy life, William Law. And I do recommend you r- read it in the edited and abridged version by John Meister M-E-I-S-T-E-R, John Meister, with a foreword by Elton Trueblood, oh. who's um, a great author, uh, in his own right. And A Serious Call to a Devout in a whole Life is an absolute cracking book to read. It's pretty hardcore in the sense that some people find it quite uh, strong, but it's a wonderful thing about uh, living for Christ and not having a secular spiritual split. Prayer is not being in church, it's a life offered to God. Wonderful book. Another one, here's a way to get around this question, (laughs) is Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians, which is a lovely, light, easy-to-read book by James Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N. Now, it's probably out of print, but it's an absolute lovely book. Now, of course, it does include some Catholics (laughs) in it. (laughs) But James Lawson is not a Catholic. I mean, he lived from, I mean, it's, I don't know, he was around. He probably did this in the 1920s, I expect, this book. So it's just a lovely little introduction to the deeper experiences of famous Christians. He's not <laughs> a Catholic.
2: I think one helpful tool might be. Looking through books that you found helpful and reading the bibliography, or you know where people quote and kind of go down that, go down that train. I I I don't agree with anyone on everything, <laughs> or everything with you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, like no. I'll read a book <laughs> and there's often large sections that I, I maybe disagree with or maybe just don't know and don't have an opinion on. But that doesn't mean there's not just littered with gems in there. So I don't think I approach a book. Any book thinking I'm going to, you know, agree with everything or not even find significant challenges uh, in it. One thought I had, and I noticed that our friend is, uh, teaches at a Methodist seminary, hop in your own tradition, right? Dig deep. And, and most, mm-hmm. most of the time you'll find some really, so of course, John Wesley and mm-hmm. all those folks, really, really helpful formation, you know, uh, writing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I have a general suggestion, and then I'll make a couple of specific recommendations. But I have found it helpful to kind of work backward through history. So, for instance, my, like many people, many years ago, my introduction to really thinking hard about spiritual formation was from reading Richard Foster and Dallas Willard. Well, Richard Foster is still alive and still writing. (laughs) His most recent book just came out in December, Learning Humility. But then go back and read Richard's book, Celebration of Discipline, was published in 1978. And Dallas's the spirit of the disciplines, I think, in 1988. So if you kind of start there and then maybe work backward, find something a little bit older. The next thing I'd recommend might be The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. Which was published in the early 70s, but is the story of Korten Boom's life mostly during World War II. And boy, if you really wanna delve into spiritual formation issues, that's a that's a great one. Contemporary of Korten Boom's, I would really recommend Catherine Marshall and her husband, her first husband, Peter Marshall. Specifically, I find a man called Peter and Beyond Ourselves and Something More, those books by Katherine Marshall, I think are really helpful. And then work a little further back in history, back to the beginning of the 20th century to Frank Lawback, his letters by a modern mystic, or a little further back to Thomas Kelly, a Quaker writer, and A Testament of Devotion. I would consider one of the spiritual classics, though it's not that old. So I find it really helpful to kind of start where we are contemporarily. And there's so many books, so many good books in the field of spiritual formation right now. So let your attention be grabbed maybe by a contemporary author, whether it be John Mark Comer or John Ortberg or James Bryan Smith Or, you know, Nathan Foster (laughs) or (laughs) Shalaparam or James Catford, Mm -hmm. read something written now and then start going backwards through history. And then after you've worked your way through the 21st and 20th centuries, then you might be ready to look at something like uh, the writings of Louisa May Alcott from the 19th century or... Go a little further back in um, British history to, say, John Bunyan and A Pilgrim's Progress. That's a ways back. But do remember that it doesn't have to specifically be a book about spiritual formation to be really, really helpful as you consider these issues that we consider in spiritual formation. You can come at things sideways to really good effect, I think. And I would like to mention a couple of, I think, super helpful resources that you can purchase today that I just think are, (laughs) as you would say, James, cracking good books, but they're different.
0: Cracking. They're
1: Renovari resources, and one is called Devotional Classics and one is called Spiritual Classics. And they're both edited by Richard Foster and co-edited by other members of the Renovari team, James Brian Smith or Emily Griffin. And they'll give you just little introductions to the spiritual classics and little little readings taken from across the spectrum of Christian tradition. And I think similar to what you said, Nate, about reading the bibliography of books that you found helpful, this is a great way to have a little intro. and, And then you might think, oh, I think I like that author, but these have been vetted pretty carefully. And again, you probably aren't going to agree with every one of these authors on every point of theology, but I think you'll find a lot to be gained from many of them. And reading the devotional and spiritual classics, those those little books with excerpts might help you sort of find a way in through the side door and see, okay, which of these seem like they will would resonate? and be easier for me to digest than attacking the full book straight on
2: let me spin just a little in my mind different books should be read different in different ways and i think that a lot of modern books are helpful entry points it is so rare that i find a modern book that has the kind of fire and depth where you you know you read it and go oh oh, I'm, out, I'm outclassed, <laughs> like, uh, and it opens this expanse yeah. that, that it's just like this new room to walk into and, and to read them you know, in, in a very different way. Okay, I have a question. that comes to us from Billy, and it goes like this. Hi, friends. How do you pray for one another? I hear people talk about the power of prayer and I'm interested in going deeper in prayer. But I've wondered how specific I should be in my prayer request. And how do I know whether I should trust someone with my prayer request?
0: Good question. <laughs> Very good question.
1: Oh boy Billy, I don't know if Billy is a man or Billy is a woman, but I appreciate the question because it's kind there's kind of a question within a question, right? First of all, the question is how do i know if i can trust someone that's a deeper question just of friendship in general isn't it and i think in general trial and error is about the only way you know if you can trust someone <laughs> no <laughs> but but truly being vulnerable enough to share a a or an important prayer request with someone it is part of building a friendship you cannot trust everyone with everything that is for sure and so part of the beauty of building a spiritual friendship with someone is learning that you you can actually trust someone with your your stuff your your deep needs your everyday needs your special <laughs> once in a lifetime kind of deep, deep stuff. Can somebody take your confidence and take things before God and not share them all over town? That, that is part of being a friend in formation to someone. So do you know of a way other than trial and error, Nathan?
2: Yeah. I mean, certainly we learn how to trust people, but you have to earn it. But mm-hmm. no, sometimes it's very clear to me that someone's not trustworthy. Um, and to me, there are issues of prayer. There you go. And, and being really, really wise. We've all gotten our teeth kicked in. So mm-hmm. learn from it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, and I find through the years, it's a higher bar that people have to get through to enter into that mm. space, particularly where I am going to share. I want it to be someone that I, I know loves and cares about me enough to take the time because I'm asking them to give something very precious and And if it's not going mm-hmm. to be received in that way, I'm uncomfortable offering that. I think the same goes for me with how I pray for others is i I bring that as an issue of prayer as well and and just you know should I and how much and you know sh- how should I work with that because I'm also aware that I'm giving something and and I don't know what that cost is, but there are days where I feel um I don't have it today, I just don't, and so I'll kind of visually lift them up to the Lord but I'm not in a space to kind of dig in deep. And there are other days where I, where I am. I write most of my prayers. And so when I pray for others, I'll do the, I'll do the same. Um, and then sometimes I'll share them with them. And so it may be that there's a, a text or an email I send that just has my prayer written out for them. But I try to be really mindful to not say I'm going to pray for someone unless I'm intentionally going to. That feels like a, a, right. a it's an unacceptable lie for me. <laughs> Mm, Yeah. And then the other piece I'll add, just dumping it all here, is I found it important sometimes not to tell people I'm praying. for them, So it can be a real encouragement to people. And, you know, but sometimes my soul needs that (laughs) to, to offer that without the thank you and the nod of how spiritual I am for praying for them. Sometimes I need to die to that a little bit. Yeah. What
0: are you thinking, James? Yeah, I'm really intrigued. By this i was going to come at it's a very it's interesting how a question stimulates a different approach from each of us i was going to do the how do you pray for one another from the point of view of i think i pray for one another out i think the first thing is to pray i mean is to build a you know develop the practice of prayer and then the pray for one another comes out of that practice that general attitude that general a life of prayer so well i like the definition of prayer that prayer is communication with god about what we're doing together
2: <laughs> yeah that's a good one
0: prayer is communication with god about what we're doing together and the point there is if you're not doing a lot with god you won't have much to pray about. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah, that's good. If that makes sense. I mean, this isn't original to me, this, but I do like this. If you want, you know, begin to have a life with God and then prayer will come out of that life with God and prayer for other people, for one another, will come out of a life of prayer. And I don't mean to set that up as some kind of, Impossible ideal. I'm not asking for that. I'm saying just up your average, just just increase your daily average. You know, see how it goes, and you find that it does. And I remember, I remember when I used to have amazing, you know, amazing privilege of praying on my own in a closed room, and I was kind of going, "Wow, this is this is just I'm loving this." But could I pray when I wasn't in a closed room? Well, when I wasn't in my closet, as the scriptures would would put it. And it took me years to work out how to pray, to walk on the street, to pray a prayer before I see a friend or a work contact, or to open my hands under the Mm -hmm. desk (laughs) when I'm talking to somebody as a sort of act of Prayer, really, just a little. You know, I just open, I, I you know, I cut the hands under the desk as a kind of Lord, come to me. I need you now at this point. And by developing that, then the pray for one another is a kind of overspill of that, rather than the sort of the the goal is to pray for somebody, and then it becomes a mechanical thing, a kind of formulaic. So I find that, you know, helpful. That Though I love lists of prayer, I love it when someone says, I'm on, you, I, you're on my prayer list. And I love to be able to remember people. I know people who pray for people every day yeah. for years, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty convinced it comes out of a life of prayer rather than some kind of arithmetical sort of mm-hmm. formula. That's good.
1: I kind of wonder if the key to this might not be that different from understanding sabbath if the if the underlying <laughs> approach to sabbath is trust and the underlying approach to prayer might yeah. be realizing that prayer is something we do because we 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 need god and we need god's action in our lives and in the lives of those we care about and that we pray about you know, you you come to the end of your your own power, <laughs> and you admit it in prayer. <laughs> I've heard heard people say, "Oh, if you want to learn how to pray, well, then just have teenagers," which is a <laughs> yeah, difference. right. That you, you, you'll uh, or have a teenager learn to drive, and you'll learn all about prayer. <laughs> and of course, that isn't true. I've had teenagers. I've had teenagers learn to drive. Nothing automatically will cause you to pray. But there is something about knowing that that you are at the end of your own power that helps. Knowing that you need the power that only God wields helps you, I think, Hmm. remain in a posture of prayer. And in terms of asking other people to pray, I do think it's really valuable when you get to the point with someone that you can say, You know what? I am facing this situation. This is difficult. I really, really need this outcome or that outcome, or I I, my heart yearns for this outcome. Will you help me? Ask God. In my own family, a lot of those are health-related issues. And what I've learned is that it's helpful to me to ask very specifically this is happening at this time or this is where we are and we need we need this result or we we very much want this result or life can't go on like literally sometimes life and death <laughs> depends on this will you ask god with me would you be willing to lift my family member up to god and beg for mercy and yeah, I can be really, you know, I, I, I've i learned to be super specific with people I know will pray. Now, if, if the people you're asking are people who are just like, oh, well, God help them. You know, no, it's people I know will say, Lord, this is happening at two o'clock this afternoon. Or Lord, this is where mm. Rochella is right now. This is what we were begging for. And then the other thing I would say is follow up with people and say, thank you for praying. God answered our prayer. This Mm -hmm. is what happened. God provided, or this is what I thought I needed. And actually this is what happened. And we can see the hand of God. I mean, I I think it was Dallas who used to say that the hand of God is best seen in the rearview mirror. <laughs> you know, we ask for what we need or we ask for what we want. We don't always know how God's going to provide, but looking in the rearview mirror, we see that God has provided, God does provide, and it's not always how we ask.
0: Well, that but- right, but but I do think that's a, such an important point. People, please, when you ask for prayer, please tell people what happens after they pray because it increases you. I mean, the what. Bill is asking, is saying, I hear people talk about the power of prayer, and I'm interested in growing deeper in prayer. Well, it would help to grow deeper in prayer if people will tell you what the results of the prayer was, because you go, wow, and it, and it's not always what you expected, and that's okay too, but, but if you're going to ask people for prayer, I think part of the commitment is to tell them <laughs> what happens afterwards. Because that helps them to grow in prayer. I want to just, just, just to read a little thing. Richard Foster uses a fourfold prayer, which I just think might be helpful for this. It's um, on um, healing, a prayer for healing, but it could be for, for anything. But I do think his first point is the most important. First, we listen if we're wanting to grow in prayer, grow deeper in prayer, how do you pray and handle prayer requests? First, we, we really try to listen. This is the step of discernment, as Richard puts it. We listen to people and we listen to God. Very important. you know what, what's, what's really happening here? What are we really asking the Lord for? And we take time. Second, we ask, this is the step of faith. As we come to clearness as to what is required, we invite God into the situation. Is it a healing? Is it a, something they are asking for? Third, we believe this is the step of assurance. And it's interesting that Richard says, we believe with the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. That's an interesting thing. Believing with body, mind, Mm -hmm. and spirit. Maybe the body part is to lift our hands up in prayer. Maybe the body thing is to stand up in prayer. Maybe it's to kneel in prayer. But there's a bodily activity. And the fourth is to give thanks. This is the step of gratitude. And I like the way that Richard says, a, a simple courtesy leads us to express <laughs> our thanks for what we have asked to happen. That's <laughs> such a nice way to put it. Simple courtesy leads us to express our thanks for what we have asked to happen. I mean, this is a journey, this learning, this point of, I, 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 I'm interested in going. I love that simple courtesy.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of things. Yeah.
0: we. As we
2: close out, I think of prayer as a way we love others and a way where we enter into a space where we're begging God to give something to another that we cannot give. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a mm-hmm. sense of desperation that can live within that. And I know for me, sometimes when people say they're praying for me, I'm very grateful and thankful, but asking me how I'm doing or a call might yeah. be really helpful. And I think sometimes we can use prayer as a way of not caring for people or not being attuned to them. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. And it's a kind of out of sorts when mm-hmm. showing up, mm-hmm. showing up might be just what God is inviting yeah. us, asking us to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Conversation with God about what we and he are doing together.
0: Well, dear friends, thank you for joining us in this episode of Renovare's Friends in Formation. You can head over to the therenovare.org to find lots of other helpful resources and the regular Renovare podcast. We would love you to send us your questions so please do send them to friends at renovare.org that's friends at r-e-n-o-v-a-r-e dot and we read every single question uh, we love to hear